Please turn again in your Bibles to Second uh, Kings, chapter five. <clears throat> it's a sad story of Naaman. We're going to regard it this morning as a story of this little girl. Uh, it's not even named in the passage. There's a a Breton fisherman's prayer, and that goes, "O oh God, Thy sea is so great, and my boat is so small." And as we step out into a new year, we can feel that way in terms of being dwarfed by the world. As we put out again uh, in the little boat of our church, that is exactly how we may feel. Our little boat, how can it cope with the waves of the sea? We are cast uh, into a world again which uh, is in so many ways hostile to the gospel. Uh, hostile to the gospel. It'll embrace religion, uh, all right. It'll embrace religion with its works and images, with its tribes and societies. But it has little time for the message of a suffering servant and a cross. And yet, we've been sent out into this world by our Savior to win the world. Nothing less than that, Jesus Uh, has sent us to make disciples of all the nations. We look for a day when the earth will be filled with the glory of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. And Cope Bridge, for most of us at least, is our mission field. Many people who do not know their right hand from their left spiritually And we wonder, how will our little boat cope? And it will cope because God wills it to cope. Uh, It will cope because the church is the church of Jesus and he has promised to build it. And it will cope because in God's providence, it is his design to use little things to confound great things and weak things to confound strong things. So to continue the the seafaring uh, metaphor, we are, as it were, going to set our course uh, as we begin the year 2014. Uh, Trim our sails, uh, take out the charts and remind ourselves uh, how we're called to live uh, as we make our way across this ocean. Now, this is a favourite Old Testament story, and preachers who uh, come to it will will quite naturally focus upon Nehemiah, and that is only proper because he is the main character of the story. But we're going to look at it from a slightly different angle this morning. I want us to look at it from the perspective of that little girl who is so pivotal in the story, and yet she does not even get Mentioned. She is used in bringing Naaman, this great Syrian general, uh, to be cured of his leprosy. And as you'll know, in the Old Testament and the New, leprosy is often seen figuratively uh, as our, our sin. And so <clears throat> it's a very apt uh, picture for the cleansing of our inner illness. And Naaman does come to that confession of the uniqueness of Israel's God. Now only God can bring about spiritual change. 
We confess that as true. And yet we know also that God uses our instruments. Instruments like this little girl. I want us to take comfort from our example on this New Year's Day and to look at, first of all, the greatness of God and then the instrument of God and then the salvation of God. Three things. The greatness of God, the instrument of God and the salvation of God. Now in a number of ways we see the greatness of God in the story. We see the sovereignty of God, his kingship over all things. And it comes across even in the introduction to Naaman that we have uh, in verse 1. We read there that he is a great man in the sight of his master. We read that his master thought highly of him because the Lord had given victory to Aram. There you are. He is regarded highly because of his military exploits, and yet the exploits themselves had been given by the Lord. And it is so, it's kind of tucked away in there so snugly that you read it over it and you hardly notice it until you think, well, what says the Lord gave victories to Aram? It's supposed to be the other way around, isn't it? He gave victories to Israel. And here we are, we're reminded straight away that the sovereignty of God is over everything. You know, we're so apt to divide uh, life into the areas that we think God has some uh, responsibility for. Uh, Religious areas. Uh, We acknowledge him when some great figure is converted or where the church moves forward. But God is king over all things. He is the God uh, who controls the developments in technology. Who directs political battles in emerging nations in Asia. And even harder to handle, he is a God who will grant victory to the enemies of the church to chastise the church for her disobedience. He is God over all. And Israel found herself exactly in that place at this moment. She was being chastised for her disobedience. In two ways, within the story itself, Uh, There had been a successful raid by the Arameans. But we need to remember that the original readers of uh, 1 and 2 Kings were in exile. They had been taken by God into exile as a result of their breaking the covenant. And God had sent, uh, first of all, the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, to be the rod of his judgment against them. And it's because of the repeated disobedience of Israel that this little girl finds herself in Naaman's household. We let our imagination go just a little bit. We can imagine what it was like for her. There was a day that changed her life. There was a day when she was going about the normal routines of life in a village in northern Israel when a band of Arameans swooped down upon her. Men in horseback torched her village. She screamed and cried out for her parents. And one unknown soldier lifts her up onto his horse and rides off with her, kicking and screaming all the way. One day changes her life forever. 
And she finds herself now in a position of some usefulness, the servant of the wife of Naomi, a significant person. And yet, from another angle, what is the point? What is the point of her being there? A slave girl in a foreign land, separated from her family and from her own people. And yet, she's God's appointed instrument. She will have a part to play of huge importance, as we'll see. Now, many of us struggle with difficult times in our lives. As this little girl would have done, we wonder, why has God uh, allowed this to happen? Why is my life in the way it is? Uh, surround, hemmed in by constraints of different kinds. And of course, it doesn't help, does it, when other people who have little access often to our situation pass comment on why they think our life is the way it is. But all this for the believer, our anchor in these situations is that great verse in Romans 8.28. The anchor of our soul, if we are Christ's, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. All things, including captivity in Aram. What comfort that would have been to the early readers of the book who wondered why they had been placed in exile. Comfort for them to know that despite their circumstances, God was on the throne, that he had not abandoned them. Well, we go out into a world where there is a very unchristian, anti-Christian atmosphere in the world. It is not congenial to the Christian gospel. Uh, there's so many ways that you could illustrate that, but uh, just one kind of uh, straw in the wind. The Reader's Digest poll recently stated that the most wasn't respected, the most trusted person in Britain today is David Attenborough. David Attenborough, who claims never to have believed in God and who has campaigned against the teaching of creation in schools, is the most trusted person in Britain today. But God, nevertheless, is on his throne. Look now at the instrument that God chose. <coughs> the little girl is the real heroine of the story. Let's not uh, miss that. She is the real star turn. And yet, as we said, she is unnamed. Unnamed, but hugely used. This is the way that our God loves to work. He loves to use people like the little girl, the little slave girl, who don't make the headlines, who don't have their name up in lights because nobody knows their name. It's the exception rather than the rule that God uses the great people the big people, the powerful people. Of course, there are exceptions. Uh, George Whitfield, the great evangelist, uh, was supported uh, solidly by uh, Selina, the Countess of Huntingdon. And uh, she supported him financially. She's a sincere Christian. And she wrote once to him saying that she was so glad 
that the scriptures didn't say that God did not choose any wise or influential or of noble birth. But God does say that he doesn't choose many in these categories. And he does choose, on the other hand, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the lowly things of the world, and the despised things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, that no one may boast before him. Here's exactly an example of God's ways in using the little girl. Three things that the little girl did which God blessed. First of all, she loved her master. The little girl loved her master. Now she could have derived a great deal of satisfaction from the fact that uh, Naaman had leprosy, couldn't she? She could have thought to herself, although maybe not verbalized, that she could have thought, well, I, he and his kind are the ones who got me into this. God's judging them. He deserves it. He deserves all the suffering he can get. But she didn't think like that. Her love was like the love in 1 Corinthians 13, which keeps no record of wrongs. And you can't help but feel the, the sincerity in her voice. In the words that she says to her mistress. If only, if only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria. There must have been something of her genuine love for Naaman in that. Uh, I think it's unlikely that the message would have been relayed. Had that not been apparent. Uh, unlikely that Naaman himself would have acted on it unless he believed that this advice came from someone who did have his good interests at heart. Here is the first thing God uses in expanding his kingdom. He calls uh, his people to love those around them. To love those around them. When Jesus is summarizing the law, remember, uh, he summarizes that you shall love the Lord your God all your heart and soul and mind and strength and you shall love your neighbor as yourself and when Jesus is challenged to define uh, uh, neighbor uh, he gives a parable of the good Samaritan and it's clear uh, in the parable that the ones that we are to love are not those that are religiously close to us because in the parable we have a Samaritan loving a Jew presumably a Jew we're to love those who are simply around us. Whether or not they come to church, have any inclination to go to church, will ever come to church. They are to be shown genuine love. In the parable, the, the priest and the Levite have got a religious agenda. They're hurrying on their way to Jerusalem and they don't want to get involved. I think that's a legitimate conclusion. They probably are thinking to themselves, well... Uh, this guy on the other side of the road probably had it coming to him. And who knows what, how long it would take us if we get uh, stuck at this point. We've got to get to the temple in time. We don't want to get embroiled in this man's uh, misfortune. And so they pass by on the other side. And there is always that costliness to genuine love, genuine care. C.S. Lewis, in a famous uh, portion puts it well. <clears throat> he speaks about the 
the, uh, the cost and also the unattractive alternative to loving others. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. The little girl then showed a a practical love towards her master. And the only source of uh, this love that Jesus commends to us is God himself. Uh, It must be given to us by God. Kindness and goodness we were thinking of on Sunday evening and aspects of the fruit of the Spirit are given by that Spirit. And so we must ask the Lord to give us more and more of these, to be diligent in cultivating practical kindness, compassion, goodness. And that always involves us in looking for the best in other people. Uh, Because people are made in God's image, there is always something that we can appreciate in them. Again, 1 Corinthians 13, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. There's always something of, of God and God's truth, of his image in those around. Now you would see that in Naaman. Naaman was clearly a man of honor. Uh, He was a military man of some success. He had a generous spirit, as the story uh, shows. The little girl could appreciate those things in her master. And we equally are always able to see much good by God's common grace in people around us. An appreciation for the good that God has put in our world, which we can also appreciate. Sin can do much to deface a community and people, but there's still so much to rejoice in. Secondly, uh, the girl not only loved Naaman, but she was courageous. She was courageous. Her position is not very strong. She's a nobody, really, in this household. And yet, she speaks out very clearly and she gives advice to her master via his wife. She spoke out. She was like Esther in the Old Testament book. She was 
raised up by God for such a time as that. And when the time came, this little unnamed girl took her opportunity with both hands. She was courageous. She did not hide behind the notion that she only had to let her life tell its story. Because when we leave it to our life to tell a story, it's often an uninterpreted and a misinterpreted story without words to go with it. I think I've shared before the story that Mark Green of the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity has about a, a man who was a Christian in the workplace, a man called Ron, and he had this idea that all you had to do uh, to be a witness was to be to live your life. Uh, the atmosphere was was difficult for speaking about being a Christian or or going to church or things like that. So he said, "I'll keep my head down and I will live the life, and my life will tell for Jesus." Well, anyway, <clears throat> came to the end of his time with the company, and they organised a presentation for him. And one man got up to speak and said, "You know, Ron, we've really appreciated your time with us." And some of us have been talking together and we've been saying, no, there's something different about Ron. And we've decided what it is. Ron, we think you must be a Buddhist. We think you must be a Buddhist. What a sad conclusion to come to. <clears throat> and that's so often what can happen when we are afraid to speak for Jesus. But the girl wasn't afraid. She was courageous. And her testimony was a confident testimony. She believed in the power of God absolutely. She believed that there was a prophet, that there was a man of God in Israel, in her home country, and that he could cure her master of his leprosy. <clears throat> now, why was that such a confident assertion? Well, we can say with certainty that this little girl had never seen Elisha curing anybody of leprosy. You say, how do you know that? Well... We know that on the authority of Jesus. Because in Luke 4, uh, Jesus uh, says that uh, there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the leper. So here was a little girl who had never seen a miracle of cleansing of leprosy, but she believed in the power of God through his servant to do just that. Only he would go in and speak to the prophet, he would cleanse him. She wanted to introduce her master to the prophet who is in Israel. And friends, because we are confident in the power of the gospel, we want to introduce people to the master through his word. If only people would encounter Jesus through the Bible. That's why we run Christianity Explored. That's why we want to see one-on-one -on -one Bible studies with people who are not yet Christians. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. We have confidence in the God who reveals himself through his word. We want to introduce people to Jesus, the Master. She had a confident testimony. And then lastly, as we close, look at the salvation of God. Naaman is healed 
of his leprosy entirely and his skin becomes like that of a young boy. But there's a greater good, of course, as there usually is in these biblical healings. Uh, He is healed of his outward ailment, but he is healed inwardly. Remember that uh, the king uh, was aghast at the thought that he was being required to heal. Elisha rebukes with a word uh, to the king saying, let him come to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Well, Naaman certainly knows there is a prophet in Israel. And he confesses that the God of this prophet is the only God. Now, if we had time, we could look at the the many different ways in which Elisha is actually a type of Christ. It's interesting. Elijah uh, serves as as a prototype of John the Baptist. Elisha, for his part, in respect of many of the miracles he does and the, the place he occupies in the account, is like a prototype of Christ. And when you think of that, it's wonderful that a man comes to know that there is God's man in the land, which is our great hope for our community, that the people would know that Jesus is in the mess. Jesus The Son of God, the Anointed One, is in the midst. That He is alive. Incidentally, you notice that uh, the the pattern of the the high and mighty and the proud not getting it, and the weak and the insignificant understanding is fulfilled all the way through the story. The king of Israel doesn't recognize, uh, despite Elisha's earlier miracles, that there is someone in the land who can bring back to life. He doesn't recognize it. The little girl knew that there was. Naaman also, when he is uh, told the the method of his healing, gets on his high horse again. He thinks, uh, why should I uh, be healed in this way? I expected the prophet to come out and to wave his hand and that I would be cured instantly. But here he is and he's demanding that I go and bathe in this muddy, uh, sluggish river, the Jordan, where there are far better rivers back home in Damascus. And he's not pleased. And it's the little ones again. It's his servants that get it. And they urge them. If the prophet had asked you to do a great thing, wouldn't you do it? Do what he's asking. It's always the case. It's always the case. I hope all of us this morning have got it. Because we have become like little children. That we are not too proud in our own thoughts. To bend the knee and to receive salvation God's way, which is by faith in Christ, the only Savior. How timely to ask ourselves that question on the first day of the year. Am I right with God? Have I become like 
a little child. Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Naaman must become like a little child. Uh, Naaman, in effect, needs the faith of the little girl he left back home. And when he does and submits, he's clean. He's clean, outside and in. There is no God in all the world he professes except in Israel. And it's a momentous moment. It's one of the great confessions of the Bible because it's a confession from a Gentile. And we had back in Genesis the the promise to Abraham that in him all the nations of the world would be blessed. And we have these uh, signpost individuals like Naaman who remind us of the day when the gospel will impact every nation. Naaman is brought into the kingdom of God and God used a little girl. This Syrian general, dripping wet from the water of the Jordan, looking down with astonishment at his, his new pinkish skin, healthy and clean, is a token of God's promise that the world will know, the world will know that there is a Redeemer, Jesus God's own son. And all because a little girl loved her master, had confidence in God's prophet, and bore true testimony. When we were in Dumfries uh, on our congregational conference, we very quickly came together with uh, a vision statement for our congregation, creating an open door to our church family by loving our neighbour And sharing the Bible. And as I consider this little girl here. I think we have a good aim. But the challenge is of course. How do you take practical steps. To reach that vision. Let's ask ourselves that. How will you love your neighbour. In 2014. How will you get close to people. Be involved in the lives of people who are not yet. Jesus people. Are you willing to see God's image in those around. Treasure it. How will you share the word. With confidence. So as we come to this new year. Let's not be discouraged because we are small. And the sea is vast. Let's put our confidence. In the mighty power of God. The God who used a little girl. To save a great general. Amen. May God bless to us. This word. Let's close our service now uh, singing well-known hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now 
I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed.